Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. How are you? Good. Fine. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. I've got a different angle on you today. Yeah, I um, started using my laptop as a second screen, but I don't really have room for it on my current desk. But um, with my once I get my new standing desk set up, it won't be so odd. <laughs> right now, I kind of have to shuffle it off to the side and hope it doesn't fall off the desk. <laughs> when when are you expecting your new uh, selling desk? So I got uh, I've gotten most of the pieces delivered this week, so uh, it requires a little bit of assembly. So doing that this weekend, but super excited to uh, start experiencing that. Yeah, I remember my uh, foray into the standing desk. I had to build it twice because um, the instructions are not, well. The ones that, the one that I bought, everything came with in one one pack. The thing is very heavy. Um, so I took it apart downstairs, took it out the box downstairs and I had to carry it up piece by piece upstairs. Um, and somewhere in that process, I got the, the pieces backwards. So I put it all together and then realized the tabletop was backwards. So I had to take it, you know, and, and it's heavy. So you got to lift it up, you got to tilt it over, get it to the right position. And then I, then I realized it was upside down or back to front. So I had to take it, tip, tip it over again and start again. Um, and then I'd also ordered um, holders to put the screens on. I got two screens, and I, there was no really p- place to put those on the on the table. You had to drill your own holes, oh. so I had to I had to measure that all out and drill it. And it, I mean, it was you know, I supposed to be a half an hour job. It took me two hours, I think, in the end. So yeah, lots of fun. You practically built the the thing yourself at that point. <laughs> if you're drilling holes. <laughs> yeah, something you think they'd have, but I suppose there's no real standard for that kind of stuff. So, so yeah. Yeah, mine came with, it comes with this like board for you to stand on. I don't know how, uh, if I'll end up really using that that much, but excited to see Uh, what that's like. The balance board. I used to have a balance board. I don't have one with me now, but I miss the balance board. You do do it. You do use it. It's actually quite a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think I'm just so tired of sitting in the same position all the time. So I know by standing, I'm naturally going to be fidgeting and, you know, you can't just, your legs will get tired. So excited yeah. to switch it up. Have you got carpets or? No, hardwood. Uh, then you need to get a, um, a mat to stand on. Yeah. 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 No, I fasted for a week without one of those. And I had to get one because your feet get sore. Yeah. That, you know, finally, finally renovating the home office after nearly a year of work from home. But that's that's how it goes. I'm really slow to make purchases and especially big ones like that. Mm. You know, I think I was holding out to see if this was truly, you know, a permanent thing for a while. And then, you know, now very clearly it is. So, Well, yeah, I mean, and you guys have had a lot of snow as well. Mm. So it makes sense for you to have a, a good setup at home. 
Yeah, it's hard to get outside for activity. So anything I can do inside to move a little bit more, I need to do right now. Oh, good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Exciting. It's all, it's all exciting. Um, I just wanted to get my links up that I sent you. Did you uh, have a chance to read them at all or not? I did. I uh, skimmed through. Like a, like I like I messaged. I am not not too uh, definitely not an expert in quantum computing or five G. So, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Well, well, I just thought they were interesting. So maybe yeah. start off with five G. Um, okay. So the reason why these were interesting for me is uh, you know I've been in South Africa and the spot that I'm sitting in is on the edge of a five G zone. Um. So I'm very keen to get it once it expands to where I'm where I'm working every day. And why it was interesting is I started reading up on on you know, what's the difference. Because obviously this is just the next generation of of uh, radio frequency um, communications. And I was looking at some of the use cases, and and one of the biggest drivers behind 5G, besides or value propositions rather, besides obviously you could have a higher um, rate of connectivity or high bandwidth um, is lower latency. And this becomes really interesting when you think about, you know, supply chain and Internet of Things or sensor type use cases where, you know, you could now uh, in the manufacturing world or, or just even self-driving cars, you need that low latency in order to control things uh, or, or capture data centrally. So I think it's going to be quite interesting. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that, I mean, it's a natural progression for us because I think trying to lay cable everywhere in order to deliver the throughput is not a, it's not a realistic um, thing to achieve. But having something like this, 5G being, being radio frequency, will really be game-changing. And, and with us all working distributed, um, for, for the most part, we're in, we're in open spaces. We're not, you know, in, a, in a factory, you'd have issues with radio signals, but in, in all these houses... You know, you don't need to lay cable to all these houses. You can all just be on the same spectrum. I think it's going to be uh, quite fascinating uh, and quite a big boon when it comes out. What What is the 5G timeline like? What um, are they saying it's really going to be, yeah, going to be here? I think, I think various um, uh, countries, let's look at it at that level, are rolling it out already. And there's, there'll obviously be companies, telecommunication companies inside that are rolling out things. I think what slowed it down is obviously COVID to an extent. Um, so you might have, you know, we probably would have seen it already. Uh, I mean, I know UK, I think it had sort of said end of last year, you'd have you'd have 5G in the major metropolitan areas. Um, and then South Africa's got it, you know, that that tells me it's that it's been pretty close to being rolled out because, you know, that's, that's a... a it's usually a lag of, of sort of four to six months. Um, so I don't know. Any, any time now, we should have it all rolled out and everyone can use it. Um, but I think it's been slowed down by COVID. So let's say end of this year, everywhere, uh, or in the next two years at least. But that's pretty short term anyway. Mm-hmm. But then you, you, for a certain, to a certain extent, you need devices that can um, are capable of using it, right? Yeah, so so here um, we've got a provider called Rain, and they they actually rent you a. Um, I mean, it's, it's just another 
wireless unit that you plug into the wall and it, and, it, and it captures the signal. So, you know, most most new phones and new tablets and that would have 5G chips already. Um, so I think I think the iPhone 12 does already, uh, and the Samsung equivalent has already. So you you know it's not it's not a big switchover for you as a consumer, provided you got a you know a, a newish device. Um, where it probably is that it's not the challenge, it's not on the consumer side, the challenge is on the infrastructure side, getting all the towers upgraded to to push out the 5G signal um, and handle the contention ratios that they, they need to handle. Yeah. Well, yeah, looking forward to seeing what that's like. Certainly been aware of all of the all of the hype and some of the conspiracy theories and the, the very odd backlash, so... Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's really theories. that's really that's really been where 5G has come into my under my radar. It's just the the strangeness there. But. Yeah, I don't know how people can can have quick. Um, what's this, what's the thing I always see on LinkedIn? Just because they come out at the same time, does it, it um, causality is not the same as uh, coincidence or something? Correlation and yeah, causation. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I think you know. It's, I think. You know, new technology is is often very scary. So I guess it's not surprising from, you know, anything that gets talked about is this is going to change the way we live. You know, change is scary in and of itself. And then technology for a lot of people is like, you know, it's it's tiny little chips and (laughs) like Mm. binary and just things that like, you know, it's just you, you can't unless you have a certain amount of literacy, you just can't it's hard to really understand what it all means. So, yeah, well, uh, I mean, any, anything you don't understand for in technology for some people would be black magic. Um, yeah. I, and I say that in the sense it's, it's the dark arts, people don't understand it. So they think it's bad. Um, it's not to say that we don't know what the damage is to ourselves. You know, there's no long-term studies that say that this stuff's actually safe or not. Um, that'll only time will tell. Yeah, the other one that I that I said, I said you three. So the second one yeah. was like quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, what I liked about that article was was they did like a um, a chart with. Um, let me just get the chart up, and I'll. Oh, they sort of had um, six stages. Um, so it's, it was bystanders, beginners, learners, professionals, and legends, and they did sort of adoption ratio. And they said the adoption ratio was two point nine out of five. Um, and I think what was interesting for me is that they, that they were talking about organizations starting to hire quantum data scientists, which I thought was a pretty cool title for, for a job. Yeah. Um, Basically, like, it's, yeah, sounds like, you know, rocket scientists, the same sort of just like very high tech kind of title. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I mean the the interesting thing for me is that the they talk a lot about pharma doing adoption and building systems, which I uh, I was quite surprised at considering. Well, it was say surprised. It didn't. I didn't think about it. Then I read it. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense because they want to do things at a, at a molecular level, mm-hmm. um, and you need to be able to process data at a, at a you know higher volume than you've been able to. Um, so yeah, this is just an interesting article. I don't think we have to go into too much depth. I mean, they didn't. It was just that there's been a huge uptick. Uh, if you look at there's another graph there, which is the the private equity investment, how it's gone from, 
in 2015 is kind of just starting to go up. And then 2016, it's like this you know, rapid increase. Um, you know, number of number of QC startups founded um, has gone over 50. And the volume of, of investment per, or if private equity investment, um, you know, sort of $50 million, um, but rapidly invested, which shows us this breakthroughs coming. Mm-hmm. Wasn't uh, Microsoft, there's some Microsoft quantum computing thing that they had announced and then had to sort of take back a bit. Does that sound, does that ring a bell? Um, I think they announced a a, a, a toolkit um, and then they had a, they said that a big win actually it was about two weeks ago uh, and then it was an error. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was recent, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just reading it now. They said they had a in 2018 paper. They said they found evidence of an elusive theorized particle, and then they did further investigation, and they said actually no, it's just an error. But that's how I think that's how science should be. You know, you you should be able to to make a let's you make a claim, but you can put something out there, and then it needs to be battle tested, and then if it doesn't pass through the battle testing, then it's it's re, it's re um, revoked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know if you had any other thoughts on that one. You know, not not particularly. <laughs> I guess my <laughs> my understanding of quantum computing is just really, for the most part, like you know, it, it's very rudimentary, like computing in three D, like very very strong computers, and you know, computation beyond our wildest dreams. Basically, is is my understanding. So it is interesting to see, sort of more talk of that being applied and i i guess i'd be interested to really know more about um use cases for for that kind of a thing yeah i mean the only one that really resonated to me was the um the molecular level analysis work they were doing um Mm -hmm. which would you know in the especially now would make a lot of sense to us yeah um but but beyond that i mean I, i read a book on quantum computing years ago and I'll be honest, uh, not much of it really resonated or made sense to me. <laughs> I read it to finish it, but not to to be able to use it. I think I'd like to do some some actual courses on it um, in the future, but I, I need someone else. I need that to be developed. You know, I'm I'm sort of a um, once it's hit the hit the hump, that's when I want to get to know about it. Not when it's mm-hmm. on the on the rise up. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe in a few more years, but it sounds like it's getting there. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, do you want to talk about the third third article? Yeah, so the third one was the future of of CX or, or customer mm-hmm. experience, and I thought this was really cool. Um, so there are a couple of things that I want to pull out of it. So I'm sort of find my notes. Um, so one was that one was the the use of surveys and how 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 lowly or low the response rates were to surveys, you know, sort of less than seven percent. Which, but you know, survey can generally be a good way to capture information. But what they were saying is that this is not the way to do it, which I, you know we've known for years. And and there's a big drive here for, um, well, what they talk about is that the is the four flaws, which was uh, limited, they're reactive, they're ambiguous, and they're unfocused, which, you know, if you think about all the bad surveys you get asked to fill in, I mean, how many times do you actually fill them in? Unless they only ask you like one question, then you might just do it or even two. Um, 
But what I liked about what they talked about is how telemetry was being used to um, help you with your experience. Now, obviously, there's a level of privacy that has to be considered, but but collecting data about what the customer is doing, what's what pages they go to, where they leave the site, what do they what do they spend time on, hotspots on a page, that kind of stuff. If you talk about a, talk about a web application, um, and where they got to into sort of predictive customer insights is is building that big data lake where you're consuming all the information and you just basically dumping it all in one place and then you're going to, then you're working through that in order to build out metrics and paths and journeys and that kind of stuff, which is some of the stuff we did back at, you know, when I was in financial services for our internal um, systems, uh, solutions for desktop healing was to build a big data repository that you're using as a way to solve use cases. Um, so they go through that at a, at a good level. They talk about a customer level data lake. Um, which is in this case, customer financial and operational data, but it'll depend on what your use cases are. Um, and then using scoring and an action and insight engine. So scoring, you know, very, very useful, just in, in, it, it keeps it simple. Um, but the action insight engine, that's where you want to make decisions quickly. Now, a friend of mine runs a business called Singular Decisions, and that's what they're doing. Um, in fact, I think we should get him on to have a chat around subscriber management. So you're on you're on a subscription to you know like YouTube TV or something like that, Google TV or YouTube TV. I can't remember in the US. I think it's Google TV. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, whoever it is, you got you got Hulu, you got Netflix, you've got mm -hmm. whatever. And what they're doing is they're collecting the data um, and they're providing, based on their experience of doing this for 20 years, they're giving you the triggers in order to keep your customer consuming so you don't leave, mm -hmm. um, but you might get a better deal. So instead of, and we used to do this with, with one of the providers in the UK, whenever your contract was about, when you sign a contract and you want to get out, you phone them and they give you a better deal. So let's say it was you're paying a hundred pounds a month, you get it locked down to 60. And then when that, and they'll do that for like six months. And then when that's coming to the end, you phone them again, you say, oh, I'm still going to leave. And then they give it, they give you another discount. So it still stays at about 60, maybe it's 59. Um, and you just keep it at that low rate the whole way through. So you always feel like you're, 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 you're benefiting. Meanwhile, you're still paying, still paying them. And for mm -hmm. them, it's about keeping this, this this amount of people consuming the whole time. Um, so this this sort of article made me think specifically around what Singular Decisions is doing, um, because that's what what it's about is is using data to make good decisions. Um, and then the last thing that which is a really nice thing at the end of the document is to say how to turn your data into insight and action, because that's that's sort of the, the one of the challenges you have with data is everyone wants a dashboard. But the dashboard is almost too late. You you want you you don't just want to see your data. You actually want to see what's been done with your data, and that should be what's visualized on your your dashboard. Um, so yeah, nice nice document. There's about four steps to um, actionable insight. Um, uh, well, the transformation of of data into insight and action. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll put the links in there for people to read. But I thought it was really cool. Yeah, this one I think is the most accessible of, of the topics. So um, definitely was able to ponder this one a bit more. And it's also more of a white paper. So there's just more more to read on it um, a little bit, a little bit less uh, theoretical and more something that um, I think people are moving towards today. But uh, yeah, I thought, you know, the insights around it was kind of funny. They they opened talking about how um you know, surveys 
well, still very useful because this report is based on a survey. <laughs> Aren't good for CX. Um, which I think, you know, there's probably something to be said for well-designed surveys and a significant sample size. But I think the overall sentiment is, you know, um, finding other ways that you can use data about how your customers are interacting. I mean, I think, um, you know, something that doesn't get touched on with the, the drawbacks of surveys is is also just you know, if your customer isn't just getting a survey from you, they're getting a survey from, you know, many other companies that they're interacting with. And I think at a certain point, people, um, you know, they just, they need, they still need to live their lives and do their jobs and can't, um, you know, a lot of surveys take some time to, to respond to. So Mm. being able to, you know, make decisions based on their passive activity is very appealing. Um, and I have some experience with a little bit of this kind of technology to see, um, sort of predictive behavior based off of, um, online and and web activity. And it is, it is, it is interesting. So I'd be curious what sort of vendors are filling this space today. That's something that they don't quite get to if it's mostly sort of, um, like like you were doing uh, internal teams building these models themselves based on the data that they have. Yeah, I think it's it's um, sort of the gap where you're going to have a system integrator filling the gap. So you'll have you'll have products that exist or, or tools you can use. Um, you know, when we did it, we used Informatica with um, SQL back in to begin with, and then we looked at Greenplum for the big data stuff. Nowadays, you could probably put all the stuff together using, um, you know, something that's hosted at Azure or AWS using Kafka or Spark to transmit the data in and, and put into an event sequence uh, and store the data in a data lake. Um, so you can build it, you know, 10 different ways. I don't think that's the issue. I think that the, the real issue is how do you, you got to have some IP or some contextual knowledge that helps you turn that data into something useful. Um, so the, the you know example with singular decisions is they are they've been in, in the subscription business for TV for 20 years, so they know how to keep a customer, you know, happy and and subscribe to the service. But now you got to turn that into analytics that you make decisions with, and instead of having a human on the you know get involved all the time, they should be only there for the exceptions. Um, so for example, my my you know my thing with with the TV provider. When it comes to the fifth month and I'm about to phone them, I should just get a message on my phone saying, hey, Ryan, we're going to keep you on at your same price. In fact, we've thrown in two extra movies or box office for you. And I don't have to, then I don't have to phone um, because that, that wastes my time. And they've, now they save me time. And then the brand loyalty will go through the roof because they just know, mm. I know, they know that <clears throat> they've taken care of my my interests and I'm going to do it anyway. And, and they've kept me as a loyal customer for forever. Now there might be a time that I'd still cancel, but maybe for different reasons. But you yeah. saved your, your economics on that are good. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. I think a lot of these use cases are sort of B2C, but there are definitely um, B2B applications as well. And I think um, just the move to subscriptions for everything has made focus on CX so much more I think in the last few last few years, it seems like there's been a much more active CS CX motion, um, 
people are recognizing the sort of the value to, to that more and, um, you know, being able to quantify it and affect that journey more, um, than we have in the past. But I think a lot of it does come down to more and more subscription models. You need to, you need to keep people around. So you need to focus on their experience more. Well, exactly. And, and that's, and that's where we should be getting on our technologies, this ability to, um, make use, use our brains for the right things, not, not just for, you know, dead work for a better term. Mm. Super. So we ended up there then. Yeah, I think so. Super. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.